All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Chronicles 17. A couple things uh, while you're turning there in your Bibles that are going on tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, New Believers Bible Study, they'll be finishing up their section on navigating through the Scriptures, navigating through the Bible, kind of the nomenclature, what it looks like and how to get through it and all. Um, so that's tonight at 6 o'clock, and that'll be every Sunday from 6 to 7. Um, if you need any more information, you can contact Jerry Veer. He's up here in the front row, and we'll put his phone number up here for you some other time when we have this slide up or whatever, um, so you can get a hold of him um, to join him for that. So it should be good. Uh, Monday night, we have our addictions Bible study. Uh, John uh, McBride leads that as well. I think he's not in here. He's on duty out front there, but um, that's at 7 o'clock on Monday nights. And of course, we have our Wednesdays and miscellaneous Bible studies all over. I guess there's a lot of you running Bible studies in their homes and things, and that's great. So um, we'll get to one of those, you know, and enjoy it. Um, Chapter 17 in Chronicles here, we switch from Asa to Jehoshaphat. And it's a short chapter, but we're going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, Normally we we have a short chapter. We try to do two or three chapters, um, but um, this one's really... uh, timely um, and and just kind of fits uh, with our current situation, our current walk with the Lord, and uh, the current political climate that we live in and so on, and I think it just will help a lot. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, having the the foresight and the knowledge and the the wisdom to write it all down for us, um, that we can go over it anytime we want to. We can read your word. We can memorize it. We can put it to our hearts and um, meditate on it and chew on it and, and learn from it and gain wisdom. And we just thank you for that, that we are able to meet here together, to open it up, to study it together, uh, and, to, and to receive everything your Holy Spirit has for us. And so that's our heart. We want to be wide open to everything you have and just teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Jehoshaphat was a good kid. Um, don't know exactly how old he is here. I'm sure I, if I did the research, I'd, I'd know, but I didn't do the research. So um, probably in his 30s or so. That's usually when they about, about the time they take over. But it says in verse 1 that <clears throat> Jehoshaphat, his son, Asa's son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel, meaning the northern tribes. Um, he's in charge of the southern tribes. Most of Second Chronicles is really focused on the southern tribes, the southern two kingdoms. Uh, about the southern kingdom, basically uh, Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes. And he's in charge of those two. And so he strengthens himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel. There's a stark contrast between Israel, the, the northern kingdoms, and these uh, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom here of, of uh, Judah. They, they're not walking the same way. Um, and I think as Christians, we can identify with that. I've, I've noticed more and more, especially in this last year, a lot of Christians don't walk the same way. Um, as as I do. And it's not that there are many different ways. There's, and I'm, I'm saying I'm the only one that's right, but 
there is a way to walk as a Christian and there's a way not to walk as a Christian. I'll give you an example of um, the Methodist pastor that opened up the 117th Congress as a Christian, a proclaimed Christian, a pastor stood up and um, prayed a, a bizarre prayer as it was. It was just strange. You can watch it. But he, he actually called on the, on the God of Hindu, Brahma. This is a Christian pastor in the Methodist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, not some weird country like California or something. Just kidding. But right here in our state, a Methodist pastor calling on the God of Brahma, considering it equal, the same as, no different than, the true and living God that we worship. When that's all the Old Testament is really talking about is stop worshiping other gods. It's not okay. It's not okay. They're not the same. They're not the same name. They're not the same me with a different name. It's, it, they're completely different. And as we walk in the Lord, we're going to discover that. As you grow closer to the Lord, we'll discover more and more people don't walk the same way as you walk. And, and that's okay, not for them, but for you to be different. To be walking in the ways of the Lord, which is really what this first section is about. I have a lot of cross-references for this first section. Because it was pleasing to the Lord. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David, not like any of the other kings. He was walking by faith. He was madly in love with his God. He was doing what he needed to do as a king, as a man. Even if he wasn't a king, he was doing what he needed to do as a person who was created by a God, the true and living God. And so he didn't seek after Baals or Brahmas. And he sought the God of his fathers and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. It's one thing to learn the commandments. It's one thing to learn the ways of the Lord. We can learn, 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 but to walk is the key. James really focused on that. We think James is kind of a rough chapter or rough book in the New Testament. In fact, there are some scholars that don't think it belongs in the New Testament because of the way it's written. And of course, those scholars are obviously offended by it. And that should worry them that they're offended by it. But James made it a point to say, I don't I, tell me all you want about your walk. Tell me all about your faith. But if you're not doing it, it's dead. Your faith is dead. And how evident that is in, in the nation of Israel here as the nation of uh, the, the northern tribes of Israel are, are claiming that they're still with God, but they're serving all these other gods. They're still saying they're God's chosen people, but they've got God in their back pocket taking him into these other temples, to these other places of worship. And it doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. God emphasizes walking in the ways of the Lord almost in every single book of the Bible. And there's 66 of them. Almost every single book of the Bible. I didn't go through to find out which books it didn't. But upwards of 60 of the books of the Bible have that phrase. If you do a word search, walk in the ways of the Lord. He is adamant about that. None of this matters if we're not actually doing it. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 20. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Right off the bat, taking this brand new nation out of Egypt, you need to teach them my ways so that they can walk in my ways. That's the whole point. There's a lot of classes in high school that I took that I've never used since. Uh, I had to learn these things. They needed to be on my transcripts, but I never used them again. 
a lot of things. This is not one of those things. This is something that you learn because you are going to use it. Uh, Addition. Just consider this addition. And you use addition almost every single day of your life. Whether that's counting how many pounds you've gained or lost. Good for you. In any aspect of your life, you use some of these basic things and you don't even know you're using them. And that is the way walking with the Lord is supposed to be. I learn the ways of the Lord in Bible study, quiet times, um, uh, however many ways you get the Word of God into your heart. But then I walk in those ways. It changes me. I'm different. It doesn't do any good to learn it and not do it, obviously. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 33 book later, a couple books later, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. That, and here's why you want to walk in those ways, that you may live, and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. That's a perfect example of what Jehoshaphat's doing. He's walking in the ways of the Lord, and God is with him. Not only do we learn it, and walk in it, but we're also to teach our children. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. You shall teach them to your children. Speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, so that they can walk in their ways. I I don't want kids to attend Sunday school. Not if that's all they're going to do is attend. I want them to walk away from every single class, and I ask my kids every two, almost every Sunday or Wednesday, what would you learn? Sometimes they remember, sometimes they don't. But we try to emphasize, what the te- it's not the teacher's fault, they got a lot of kids, but... We want to make sure that they go back to, okay, the reason we went there tonight (laughs) on a Wednesday night was not to give you some daycare, you know. It wasn't so that mommy and daddy could have some break time, you know. I don't drop my kids off at church so I can get away from you kind of thing. No, we put you in there. We let you go in there so that the teachers can teach you. Now, we want to know what you learn. And if you don't know what you learn, guess what? We're going to figure out what you learn, and we're going to go over it to make sure you didn't waste that time teaching our kids the ways that they should go. There are going to be those that are going to tell you to go a different direction, and the Bible warns about those folks, these false teachers. Deuteronomy 13.5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the way that you're supposed to walk in. From the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall put away the evil from your midst. There are those out there that have nothing but the sole purpose of causing you or encouraging you to walk in a different way than what God has told you to walk in, and to shame you and make you feel bad about the way you walk. You're too religious, or you're too too whatever. That's old stuff. I can't believe that you go to a church that teaches that kind of thing. Teaches what kind of thing? Well, you know that that's a sin. It kind of says that it is here. So the problem isn't with the place that you're going. It's the fact that the place you're going is teaching the truth. And the place you're going to isn't anymore. It's a very real danger in our world. We can feel the pressures, especially I think this year, if not the last four years, of how a lot of people in America feel and see things differently than a conservative Christian does. So much so that it's 
there's a lot of rage over the fact that a conservative Christian would believe what a conservative Christian believes. I can't believe you actually believe that. I mean, I heard that there were Christians out there that believed that, but I thought that was the minority. I thought that was a small group. Well, the truth is that is going to be the case. It's going to be a smaller and smaller group. I think we're going to see a lot of, um, I think we're going to see a lot of Christians melt in the last days when they come under some heat, unfortunately. Um, that being said, there, there are plenty of places to go for the fragile medium Christian to go to so that they don't have those melts anymore, those meltdowns. They don't have to hear that stuff anymore. There's plenty of places to go for that. Um, and you're going to see more of that. And as the conservative Christian becomes the minority more and more, Europe's been called post-Christian for decades now. Um, you need to know that you're not wrong. (laughs) Just because you're the minority, just because you believe the Bible, just because you understand what God says and you still hold on to that, doesn't mean that you're wrong because it's not a popular opinion. That's never been the case. It's always been the downfall of a nation is when the popular opinion goes against God's opinion. And they succumb to that pressure. He's going to try to do something about that here. uh, Before I want to finish my cross-references for this section, but Jehoshaphat knows that we're supposed to walk in the ways. He walks in the ways, and he begins to fortify and build up these cities. It says that Eli's sons in 1 Samuel 8, verse 3, but his sons did not walk in his ways. Eli kind of walked with the Lord pretty good. He had his issues, but walked with the Lord. But his sons were nowhere near who he was. And they turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. These are supposed to be, that was the next generation of pastors after Eli. There's the next guy who was supposed to be in charge. And these guys had decided not to do what dad did. And they decided to go their own way to become more liberal to the point where they weren't even serving God. And God didn't recognize them anymore as leaders. So much so that the people even recognized it and said, these guys pervert. Nobody even likes to come to the temple anymore because your sons are there. And the story goes on. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's a promise from the Lord for those who walk in the in godly counsel. They don't they don't sit with the scornful. They don't and, and that's a hard thing to get across to Christians who sometimes you just gotta go. Sometimes you just have, Jesus gave permission several times for his disciples that if they won't hear you in that town, I want you to kick the dust off your feet and I want you to move on to the next town. Don't cast your pearls before swine. We have lots of moments like that where, Jesus, there's too many people out there that want to know or need to know the truth and are open and ready to receive it. Just because he says the field is white and ready for harvest doesn't mean that it's everybody's going to get harvested. I think we get confused with those two scriptures sometimes. They, well, it's just, we just got to go and, 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 and start reaping. Well... He also told his disciples that you need to move from town to town because some aren't even going to receive what you have to say. 
Don't sit in those seats with the scornful. Don't stand in the path of those sinners anymore. I mean, you try, you minister, you do what you can do. But after a while, it's like I, they have no interest in what I have to say. I'm, I'm going to move on to the next person that wants to know. Now, if they want to, they can always, they know where to find me. They know where to get a hold of me. I'd be glad to minister to them anytime, but I'm not going to keep banging down their door. They obviously don't want Jesus. John 14.6 says, Jesus said to, to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive claim. A proclamation that we should all embrace as Christians, and every Christian in the world, if they call themselves a Christian, must embrace that. There is no other way. Brahma is not going to get you to heaven. In fact, he'll keep you from it. And anybody going to that church in Kansas City that still attends after that Methodist preacher preached that, they're apostate. They're not with the Lord. They're not going to heaven. They're, they're, they've believed in a, in a God that's equal to all these others, and they've made no difference. It's the golden calf all over again. This is the God that brought you out. I know that's a bold statement, and it's hard to say those things sometimes, but you can't pretend anymore. You can't call in the name of Brahma at church and worship Brahma at church and call yourself a Christian. You're not. Flat out. And it's disturbing how many churches accept that. How, how many in Congress nodded their head at the end of that prayer that said, Amen, a woman, even though he was confused about what that means and all. Just another issue. It was, no one was shocked in that room. No one stood up and said, Brahma? What are you talking about, Brahma? They all just went, mm, yeah, Brahma, he's kind of the same. Because he means the, the creator in, in Hindu and all that. No, it's not the same. And it's not okay. And you can't nod your head. And you can't shake hands. What fellowship has darkness with light? You can't have that. Evil does not have fellowship with righteousness. It just doesn't. They don't go together. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, a very important verse for us to know. Jesus spent a lot of time telling people that he was the way and showed us what it looks like to walk in the ways of the Lord. We had all these Old Testament, you know, you need to walk in the ways. Here's the commandments. Here's what it looks like. Jesus manifested that in the flesh and walked in the ways of the Lord. And he wanted men to follow him and to walk in his ways because he was the way. This is what it looks like. And as he's walking in the way, by the time he's done, he's given up to be crucified and nobody's with him at the cross. And he tried to warn his disciples the same thing is going to happen to you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you walk in the ways that I walked in is the idea. If you do the things I did. If you're madly in love with God and and follow the truth like I do, and not afraid to preach it to whomever, they're going to hate you like they hated me. And so he warned them, he says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. 
But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak by the Holy Spirit is what he's getting at. Holy Spirit will lead and guide you at the time. And so this walking in the way is a big deal. It was counterculture, and he knows it. But he has to make sure that as a leader, I've got to do what I've got to do. I've got to say what I've got to say. I've got to follow the God who led us out of Egypt. And for me to lead you any other direction is sin for me. And he understands that. So he did everything he was supposed to do. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat. And he had riches and honor and abundance, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. Boy, those things keep popping up, don't they? It's like in the summertime, you know, look at my wife. Didn't I just mow that last week? You know? It's time to mow the high places again and chop down the wooden images. They keep springing up. Amazing. Jesus writes in a letter in Revelation 2 to one of the last day's churches who's apostate but wants him to come back. He says in Revelation 2, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have many have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That first love. That's all Jehoshaphat's going back to. He's not discovering something new. He's going back to that first love. The first true king of Israel, I know it was Solomon, or uh, um, Saul, but David was the one that actually represented God's heart the best. And Jehoshaphat's going back to that heart. He went back to the former ways. And we have to remember that in our own hearts. Go to that to those former ways to remember that first love we have. With him, that we don't get caught up in, well, enforcement of Christianity, but we get back to actually worshiping in spirit and truth in our own lives and let God have the fruit from that and that there might be fruit from that from other people. Verse 7 Also, in the third year of his reign, he sent leaders Ben Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, or Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, um, Shemaiah, uh, Nethaniah, uh, Zebediah, Asel, uh, Shem, Shemram, Shemramoth, uh, Johanathan, uh, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobidonijah. <laughs> I just wonder how those two got along. Tobijah, or did you say Tobidonijah? Okay. And Levites, the, the Levites, they were the priests. And, the, and with them, um, Elishama and Jehoram the priests. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. That's wisdom, isn't it? I don't want them to hear about hearing, about hearing, about hearing about God. 
I want them to know firsthand what the laws are. I want them to go. And so he sends out five different guys to all the cities, and they begin to teach the word of God in all these cities so that everybody knows the word of God. It's not hidden. It's not protected. It's not for somebody else. It's for everybody to study and to read and to know. And that constant, regular diet of God's word is going to make his nation stronger, closer. They're going to fall more in love with God. You can't help it, but when you study God's word to realize how great he is, how wonderful he is, um, just that constant steady diet, um, what a blessing. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you, God says to the prophet. Eat my word. I want you to eat it and digest it and chew on it and let it affect every area of your life. He goes on in Ezekiel 3.1, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. After you've eaten it, eaten it and digested it and applied it to your own life, now I want you to go speak it to the rest of Israel. That's what we're called to do. It's Christianity 101 right there. Study the word of God. Let God's word change you, make you more like Jesus, and then go tell other people what you've learned from God's word. Very simple. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, Your words were found, Jeremiah said, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. God's word should be a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience for you. As a Christian, we should love it. And then Matthew 4, 4, when Jesus answered Satan, as Satan tempts him to make this stone into a loaf of bread, his response was, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what sustains us. Physically, I got that down. I know how to sustain myself in abundance. Spiritually, though, if I want to grow, if I want to stop being stagnant, if I want to have freedom, if I want to have peace in my heart, if I want to know my God better, there's only one way to do that, and that's to eat God's Word. I've got to feed my spirit. The only food for our spirit is God's Word. There is no other way to feed the spirit that God has given you except by the Word of God. You cannot grow stronger in Jesus unless you eat His Word. That's it. That's the, that's the diet, and a, and a balanced diet. From Genesis to Revelation, eat it all. You got your spinach mainly over here, and then you've got your dessert over here, and then Revelation's just a cherry on top, you know. But you gotta eat it all to be a strong, healthy Christian. And so they do. He says, I know my people, they need to eat God's word. They need to be strong. I need to feed their spirit. I can provide them chariots, I can provide them food, I can give them water, I can give them walls, gates. We can build roads. There's a lot of things we can do, but they're all going to die that way in nice roads with tall walls if they don't get their spirit fed. They've got to be fed. Verse 10, And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute, And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. These are the enemies of God, bringing these people gifts. That's Proverbs 16, 7. Um, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's what it means. 
And we need to understand that. The reason they're bringing flocks and stuff is not because they agree. <laughs> Sometimes I get that verse confused in Proverbs where I think, well, if, I, if I'm pleasing to the Lord, everybody will be pleased with me. That's not true. That's not what that means. This is what that means. The fear of the Lord fell upon all those around the nation of Israel to where they were bringing presents. That doesn't mean they agreed or that they wanted to assimilate or that they wanted the same God that they wanted. They just knew, man, we need to be on their good side kind of thing. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. We better be at peace with them. It's different. An important distinction to know. So all these guys are bringing stuff to him. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful, and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. These are their numbers. According to their father's houses of Judah, the captain of thousands, so this is the, um, this is, uh, the two southern tribes here, Adonah, um, uh, let's see, yeah, Adonah, I guess that's the best way, Adonah, uh, the captain, and with him were 300,000 uh, mighty men of valor, and next to him was uh, Jehohanah, um, the captain with him were 280,000. And next to him was uh, Amaziah, the son of Zikri, who willingly offered himself to the Lord. And with him, 200,000 mighty men of valor. So that's the tribe of Judah. They had those three guys. Now, Benjamin had Eliada, a mighty man of valor, and him was 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was uh, Jehozabad. So just two for Benjamin, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. These served the king beside those, uh, besides those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. This was, the, this was the strength of them. They became stronger and stronger. What stands out to me is that uh, I think it's the third guy from Judah. It's the, only th- it's the only time it's said about one of the, There's five guys here, and only one of them gets who willingly offered himself to the Lord. I'm not saying that the other guys didn't volunteer for the job. Maybe they got picked for it, though. But this guy stood up and says, I pledge my life to the Lord. I want to do everything I can do for the Lord. And God says, I can use that. And he documents that. And the final cross-reference for today is kind of a long one. It's on Isaiah 6. And it talks, it, it, I think, references that third man in Judah. Um. David Spencer's not here. He'll be here probably at second service maybe. But I know this is the verse that God gave him for this African missions trip or missions ministry that he has over there. And it's a message to Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is being called into the ministry. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1, chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand 
having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. We are people of unclean lips, but with God's touch in our lives and filling us with the Holy Spirit, He makes us clean. He makes us able. We may live in a land full of unclean people, but He causes us and asks, is there anybody that will go out? Who can I send who will stand up for righteousness, who will preach my word, who will share what needs to be shared in truth, but in spirit and in love? Who will do it? And he leaves that question open. And it's for us to respond with, here am I, send me. I'll do it. I'm doing it. I do it every time God gives me a chance, every opportunity. And I think we all need to be prepared for that in these last days. It's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to get harder and harder to stand up and say what needs to be said in love, by the Spirit. And we've shared this several times before, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll repeat it because it's, it deserves repeating. But we need to prepare ourselves before the moment so that when that moment comes, we're ready for that moment. If I have to make a decision as to whether I'm going to open my mouth and share Jesus at that moment, more often times than not, I'm not going to. My flesh will scream at the top of its lung, don't be a fool. But if I prepare my spirit and I'm prayed up and I've studied God's word and I've said, like Isaiah has here, here I am, Lord, send me. Now I'm looking for those opportunities. And when those opportunities come, I recognize them right away and say, this is what I've been looking for, waiting for. This is what I signed up for. And I'm able to share from my heart because I'm prepared. Every one of us has to make that decision on our own, though. Each one of us has to answer God. Here, my send me wherever that may be, workplace, home, far away. I don't know what God will do. I know that when persecution arises in the book of Acts for the church, and they began to put them in prison and kill them, and they scattered. And it wasn't that they knew what they were doing. They were running for their lives because they didn't know what else to do. But in the midst of their running, they were telling everybody they knew on the way, why are you running? Well, because I love Jesus. Because I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. If I stayed there, they were going to kill me. But he's worth it. I'm going to run. I could have renounced him as my Lord and Savior and stayed in my hometown. But instead, I preached him to the point where they burned my house down. And I had to run for my life. And everywhere I went, or everywhere they went, they, they taught the Word of God. They shared it. When persecution comes our way, and it will, he promises us that. And he tells us, don't consider it some strange thing when fiery trials come upon you. Don't, don't be surprised. I've certainly warned you enough times about it. Be ready. And preach all the way. As many people as you can. That's how, that's how he gets us. Remember how we used to pray? It's been prayed for years. Oh, the church just needs to get outside their walls. There's more to this world than the, than the building, you know. We need to get out there. We need to really... Well, prayer answered. It's going to come. And I hope we're ready to do that. Strengthen yourselves now. Walk in the ways of the Lord. Be ready for that.
persecution to come and to force you into areas you never thought you'd be. Jenny's reading a book now about the Von Trapp family. The mother wrote it. And, uh, and she, one of the things she said that Jenny shared with me was, um, she goes, I never thought I'd be a fugitive. I never thought I'd be a fugitive. She was upper class. She was married to a captain in the military. I mean, I never thought I'd be a fugitive. But she became one. And through circumstances and strange circumstances, she finds herself in Vermont, you know, all the way from Austria. But all along the way, you know, walking with the Lord, being led by the Spirit. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preparing our hearts and to giving us joy. Um, We don't have to be worried or anxious for anything. Um, We lift up these things in prayer to you even now. Our hearts prepare us for what you have for us, whether that's to stay or to flee or to teach or to share or whatever it is that you have for each one of us, God. Help us to be ready to share your love with everybody around us. Not uh, Not just... hugs, Lord, but your word, the, 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 the good news of the gospel, your son Jesus dying for the sins of the world on the cross. That's the love we want to share with people, the love of, your, uh, of a father who sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. That's what we want to share. Lord, help us to be ready in season and out of season, and boy, it's going to be in season soon to be looking for these opportunities to share your love, to share your word with people. Help us to have a good steady diet of your word, not only on Sundays and Wednesdays, but on our own every single day, reading a little bit more, knowing you, digesting your word, letting it affect our lives, and then sharing it with other people what we've learned and what you've done for us. Help us to walk in your ways, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good rest of the week. If you need prayer, be glad to pray with you. Come on up.